This is Sermonsmith, a bi-weekly conversation about the craft of sermon preparation. And my name is John Chandler. Hey, welcome back. I took a little bit of a hiatus, as you might know. We took uh, kind of the last half of the summer off, just was trying to get my own life situated and catch up on a few projects. And it was good to have a break, come back refreshed and ready to dive into some new interviews. I'm excited today about the conversation that I had with John J. Alvaro. John Jay is the pastor of Spring Creek Baptist Church up in Oklahoma. And one of the things I really appreciate is just hearing people who have really different processes and perspectives and what they bring. People who approach sermon preparation left-brained or right-brained or somewhere in between. And you will find, as you listen today, that John Jay definitely brings a new perspective to sermon prep from what might be considered the norm. So I really enjoyed this conversation. And yes, it is John Jay. It is not just John. It is not just Jay, because as he told me, he is from the South, even though he doesn't sound like it at all. I want to say thank you to uh, Chris Breslin, who actually introduced me to John J. Alvaro and had a few other recommendations. That was really helpful. Uh, I also want to say thank you to Chris, though, because he left us a nice review on iTunes, as did Jeremy Her. Jeremy, I hope I said your last name right. Thanks to both of you for taking the time. And those of you who are regular listeners who think others might benefit from this conversation, and I know there are many of you who do because I get your feedback from time to time, I would love it if you would go to iTunes and leave a review there. That is what helps other people find the podcast. And of course, tweets and Facebook mentions and all the like are helpful as well. One more reminder before we get into this, you can find all of the links and books and resources mentioned in each conversation at sermonsmith.com. So I encourage you to come back and check that out. Any books that you buy or, or resources you buy through the website also help support the podcast. So our sponsor today could be you should you choose to do that. Excited to be back in the saddle, and here we are with John J. Alvaro. I should say this, you prefer John J., you said. Yeah, I go by two names. Maybe that's my only sort of vestige from the South, if I don't have an accent, is my name. You don't have an accent. Yeah, So sorry. John J. Yep. John J. Alvaro. That's right, yeah. All right. Well, John J., tell us about... Um, tell us about where you are. Tell us about the context where you're doing the preaching that you do. I am at a, a quirky and sweet little church called Spring Creek Baptist Church. It's in Oklahoma City. It is, uh, it's 30 years old, the church, 30 years new. And it was a plant from a downtown church, Trinity Baptist. And so it was, we were a satellite church in the 80s. And the intention was maybe that Trinity would relocate out to the suburb ring where our church is located. And that never happened. And so we became our own independent congregation and it's over the course of 30 years now, it's had a pretty steady identity and I can't always tell if it's a Baptist identity or if it's an Oklahoma identity or if those are the same thing around here. <laughs> I'm still learning. Right. Uh, so I'm the fourth pastor here and I've been here for about oh year and a half or so. Yeah. And is that, what's the makeup of the church? It is, well... Partly it's folks who live close to the church. We yeah. have a preschool here. And so there's about 90 plus kids there. And some of those folks also are part of our congregation and some of them are just part of the community. So there's a lot of folks that they just drove by and saw the building and saw the sign and they were, found it compelling. Also, we've got a lot of um, folks who have been in other congregations who 
were injured somewhere along the way. And it seems like Spring Creek may be one of their last stops before they give up. And I th- honestly, I think one of the things we do really well is create a safe space for them to heal and to find their way again. Uh, and so we've got that group as well. Uh, politically, theologically, we're really diverse. And I see that every day on Facebook in really hilarious ways. <laughs> I bet. And, uh, and so it's, it's fun and kind of terrifying to walk that line as the pastor of, of being in a place where you've got a lot of difference and holding it together in unity and not uniformity. And so that's part of my job each week. I'm curious, just backtracking a little bit, when you say, you know, it's a kind of ended up being a last stop for a lot of people. Was that the, was that the character of the church even before you arrived? Cause you said you've only been there like a year and a half. Or is that something that you feel like has come with you? It's definitely something that was here when I arrived. The yeah. previous pastor, uh, a guy named Preston Clegg, his pastoral sense was really, really strong. And so uh, he's just one of those guys that people feel disarmed around. And I think that made people feel really comfortable and safe here. And I don't know if it was happening before him, but he and I have become good friends. And so I know that was part of his tenure here as well. Got it. Yeah. Well, one of the questions I like to ask, and I send you the questions that I'll probably ask beforehand, and sometimes I remember to type this in in, the, in there, and sometimes I forget, and I forgot with you. Oh, but I'm, so I'll just right. spring it on you. I mean, it's it's really not that difficult a question, <laughs> but it, it helps. I, I find it really helps frame our conversation, and it, sure. the question is this. What would you say is the role of preaching in the life of your congregation of Spring Creek? All right. Yes, I listened to one of the interviews, and this is the question you Cheater. asked. Cheater. I, I know, right? <laughs> I was doing my research. <laughs> um, the role of preaching, I could answer it in two directions. It's, it, one's the, the role I see preaching having for this place, and then some of the preconceived notions of what preaching does that I walked into. And honestly, those two come in conflict sometimes in, in this congregation. So there are my own understanding of the role of preaching for this church is a a local embodied event where space is created for people to experience their own uh, spirituality and God's interaction with them, uh, maybe in a new way or in a fresh way for the day. Do you have this? Are you coming up with this right now or do you have this written out? That's thoughtful. I I don't have this. I don't have it written. Well, you should write that down and hold Uh, on to it. uh, Well, you just recorded it. So we're good to go. (laughs) We got it. Uh, now that's, that's sort of my, that's what I gravitate toward in preaching. And that'll come out a little bit, I think, as we talk, some of the ways that I work that out. Some of what I've encountered here, though, is not everyone wants the preaching moment to be, uh, the creation of that kind of space. You could, my professor called it liminal space or a threshold environment where something new might happen. Some folks come to the service because they're really looking for confirmation of what they, they already knew. And, what they really are maybe wanting is a mirror held up that confirms some things that they walked into. And that's, I don't actually see that as my job. Yeah. And that's some of when we start to get a little sandpaper in the mix, that's, that tends to be where it comes from. Um, but I'm trying to create space. Yeah. Okay. And is this, uh, you said you've been here a year and a half. Is this your first full-time preaching gig? So to it speak? is. It's, yeah. not my, yeah, it's not my first time full-time ministry. I had different roles along the way, but this is the first I'm in the pastor's office place. Yeah. Yeah. And and do you, how often do you preach? Every week or do you mix that around? I try and preach uh, seven out of eight Sundays. And so I've got an associate who's very thoughtful and he likes to preach as well. And so we tend to share that load about once every six to 10 weeks. Yeah. And we've got, a, like I said, we've got a community of folks who used to be ministers. And so they're 
I like to share that space partly because it also, if I'm creating space for people, having different voices does that automatically, I think. One of the things I might lean into with you here, um, which I don't know that I've done with anyone else, but just knowing that you've been in this role for 15, 16, 7, something like that, months, you're you're probably finding new things that come about in terms of what your rhythms look like. Because you have that, you know, when you first start doing it where you're doing it almost every week, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Maybe for that first year, I don't know. I, I don't know what the time frame is, and maybe it's different. You you just have so much energy toward it, and then as you start to settle into a rhythm, it gets. I I want to say it gets harder and it gets easier. I'm wondering if you've experienced that, so I might try to tease that out of you. Yeah, a bit please do. That would be fun for me to explore myself. I don't know if you've. Yeah, maybe you haven't felt that. Maybe I'm. Maybe I'm transliterating my own life on yours. I don't know. You're not. You're not. <laughs> I, I've got. Yeah, I can share some of that. And I don't think transliterating is the right word there, but I don't know what else to use. So it's a great. I'm glad yeah. that that word made it into the interview. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> really proud of us. I don't know when the last time I said that word was, but I just did. That's right. Well, all right. So all of that said, um, what is like? What does it look like for you to plan out? Or do you do you use lectionary or do you uh, do you try to do series? What? How do you outline what topics will be in advance? I have been, since I've been here, mainly preaching thematically. Okay. And I, I did that intentionally. I came from a tradition. Uh, I went to school, and we did lectionary preaching. My The church where I worked at, a unique environment in Dallas, Wilshire Baptist Church. I was in a residency program. We did mainly lectionary preaching there. And when I got here, I knew that I had some options and opportunities to define what preaching would mean for me. And this church had enough of a diverse background that they seemed pretty open. And so I decided that rather than stick to lectionary, I would sort of him close to the liturgical seasons. And so we're aware when we're in Advent or Lent and my sermons will gesture in that direction, but I'm not tied to whatever the lectionary set for that week. And that's been really freeing partly because I love the old Testament Hmm. And the lectionary kind of nixes a ton of it, particularly the really troubling stuff. Yeah. And and so if I can find a way into those stories, again, that that tends to be uh, like I have a lot of energy there and that comes out in the preaching. So we've done everything in this church since I've been here from we did four weeks on food and faith. Yeah. And what it means to be uh, an embodied incarnational being. Uh, we did new creation for a while around Easter we did four Sundays on the tabernacle at the end of the book of Exodus. And that was maybe some of my favorite. We did Leviticus for a while. Hmm. Um, we just wrapped up the seven vices and that was exhausting. Like the seven deadly sins. Yes. Okay. Oh my yeah. goodness. Uh, you, uh, for me, at least I sort of, be, I, I enter into these, this prep really intimately and I didn't want to do that much with sin. And so for seven weeks, uh, I felt kind of terrible because I realized I'm not near as whole as I thought I was. And uh, we're about to start a series on Acts, the book of Acts. So less thematic. Less thematic. I try and bounce back and forth between a theme and maybe a longer section of scripture. And that, that's been good for me so far. And it seems to be resonate with the congregation as well. We preach through Luke for a long time as well. Yeah. I, I, I just got to backtrack and toss in a story. I used to work at a large church and, you know, as we would sit down to plan out ideas, 
uh, one of the guys who worked with us, this is in the student ministry, always talked about we should do the seven deadly sins. And he always got nixed. And then it finally, at some point, <laughs> it, it just became a joke that he was going to toss that out. <laughs> you know, and then later we were on the teaching team for the whole church together and seven deadly sins came up. Uh, and it was just a joke that got tossed out. And now, since I've been doing two years of Sermon Smith now, I, I've talked to a number of people who do have done seven deadly sins. So I, I think yeah. I got to write him a, I think I got to write him an apology letter. For yes, all he's of been vindicated. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, well, how do you? I mean, what's what's your process for determining what those topics will be, and how far in advance do you plan them? I have, I'll have some. So I've already got lent at least the theme worked out in our church, but I don't have Advent worked out yet. Hmm. And I, I sort of knew that I wanted to look at the Christian tradition of death and dying. And that's been in our community. Um, our charter members are in the age where they're experiencing a lot of loss, both of health and then of friendships. Yeah. And we are a young congregation. We don't have multiple life cycles yet. This is our first cycle through death really. And, the first pastor did something like seven funerals in 14 years in, in his whole tenure, which was like 10 or 12 years. Yeah. And I've done close to that since I've been here and for various reasons. But what, what I've noticed and what we've realized as a staff too, and pastoral care team is that we don't have a lot of theological resources to talk about death. And so maybe we're going to explore that at Lent, what, what the Christ, Christian tradition of dying looks like. Huh. And, so I know that, and I've been reading about that for a while, but I don't have Lent, I don't have Advent worked out yet. And so it's it sort of is what I've been, what's been percolating for a while for me. And I'm watching the church and the life cycle that we're in and figure out when those things intersect. And if they, if I can see far enough out, I can go ahead and start thinking in that direction. Uh, we're doing acts right now because we are in this, like a lot of churches, we've been in this life cycle of you hit a ceiling structurally and then you either take a risk to figure out what god might have next for you because so for instance we've got a lot of of guests who are showing up who find what we do really intriguing uh, but we're about at capacity in terms of what we can deal with as a staff and as a lay support structure sure and to make that jump is going to mean we're going to have to take a lot of risks in terms of what we're used to and i think the book of acts might give us some language for that in the ways that the church has dealt with this in the past. And so I'm, that's sort of how we ended up there. We also preached through Luke uh, at Advent last year. And so Acts seems like a part two to that as well. Uh, so it's, it's a mixture of where the congregation is at the time. And then where I feel a lot of my own personal energy, because I've, I have to believe this stuff at some level, or I feel a bit phony. Right. Um, yeah. And that's the freedom of breaking off the lectionary, I suppose. It is. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, for sure. That's absolutely true. I, I, there are things that I'd never thought I try and test the idea that does this text preach? And I don't always think that they all do. So, but the tabernacle ones, that's what normally gets ignored. Those last chapters in Exodus. And we sat there for a while with it and I, I learned a lot of things and the congregation I think did as well. So those are fun challenges as well. Yeah. When you're so as you're entering into Acts right now, do you map out a schedule of week to week? We're going to do this pericope, or do you take it a week at a time and just I'm going to make it to see how you know see how far I can get this week before we move on to the next week? Mostly, it's the first one. I've yeah. got I did this with Luke as well, so I'm reading. So for Acts, for instance, I knew I was going to do this about a month ago or a little further out. So I 
there's not a ton of, I don't read a lot of commentaries in, unless I'm checking myself for heresy. Uh, <laughs> but I don't normally find in commentaries a ton of inspiration. And that's okay. Some people do. So I started polling my friends, social media. What are y'all reading for this type of thing? I've got a lot of folks who are in ministry who gave me some great resources. So I've been reading about just church history, uh, first 300 years, how in the world Christianity got to Rome. Leander Keck's got a great book from the 60s about uh, the book of Acts called Mandate to Witness that one of my folks here gave me a copy of. Yeah. But I've got behind me, you don't see it because we're not on video right now. Uh, I have a lot of butcher paper and whiteboards in my office. Yeah. Because I do a lot of, I just need to see a lot at one time. So I've got this long sheet of butcher paper up and I'm going to do a, just sort of a throw it all against the wall timeline of what I'm seeing in the book of Acts. And that will likely give me the rough contours of the, the series. Yeah. All right. Well, so you've just hinted at where I'm excited we're about to go. Okay. Because also, as we're talking, I'm looking at your your own personal page on your church's website, which just yeah. says John J. Alvaro, pastor, among other things. But the background for it is an open sketchbook with some pens and some watercolor and an eraser and such things. Uh, yes. And so I and I know this from our mutual friend who introduced us and from, you know, a couple other links that you sent that you are very visual in your approach. So yeah. that said, let's talk about, let's walk through what your process looks like. Maybe it's whatever's easier for you, whether it's easier to just walk through a most recent sermon of what it looked like, or if you find you have a general rhythm, you know, week to week of, but I, let's, let's just hear it. Let's talk about how you put a sermon together. So this is maybe some of my favorite stuff I've gotten to explore since I've been, particularly at this church. I have an art background. Art and architecture is what I did for undergrad. Mm -hmm. And my wife's an artist. That's what she does in her with her time and energies. And so we've got that. That's just kind of all around us. And when I was in school, when I was at Duke, I uh, I wouldn't type out my notes. Often I would mind map them. And then when I'd study for exams, it would be an image I was looking at more than it was a set of text. And I kind of asked myself somewhere along the way over the last three years or so, what uh what might it look like if the sermon manuscript, the typed out 2000 words, two column manuscript I've been trained with, what if that took on a different form? Would that really change my preaching? And so the first Sunday at this church, uh, because I'm maybe a little bit haphazard and was feeling three cups of coffee into the day or something, <laughs> I, uh, I just decided to try it. So I took a sketchbook and I, I sketched out my sermon with a mixture of pictures and, and words. And that's all I took up with me for that first Sunday here in at Spring Creek. And so hold on, I, hold on. The first time you ever did this method yeah. was your very first Sunday at the brand new church. Yes. <laughs> okay. And my, and my, my wager was that they didn't know a lot of my preaching ahead of them. Yeah. So they wouldn't know the difference. And, uh, if it worked it, enough to try it again, I would have no, uh, they wouldn't have any preconceived notions about what I used to do. Yeah. And, and so maybe this is like when you went to college 30 years ago and you could reinvent yourself because there was no Facebook to follow you around. Right. I'm not sure. But I, I also wanted to see, honestly, if I could let go of the manuscript that it started to become for me uh, a, a security blanket 
I had nightmares. I was, I had nightmares and maybe you've had these as well where your notes like evaporate. And it's sort of the version of like when your clothes evaporate when you're in middle school. Right. And I thought, if that really happened on a Sunday, my computer crashes or I, you know, miss a page and I'm flipping through, could I keep preaching? Do I have anything to say? And I thought, well, there's only one way for at least the way I'm built. There's one way for me to find that out that's pretty easy, and it's just don't take the thing up there with me. And so I didn't. I just took the sketchbook. And I have gone back and listened to that, and I remember writing some of my friends and saying, like, I tried this thing today. Some things worked. Some things definitely didn't. But I felt alive doing it. And so I've honed that in my own way over time. It For me, it sort of generated from a place of, if I knew what I needed to say and I trusted myself that, that God had given me something to say that week, then this was one way I could test that out, that that belief. And then also, I, I think in pictures. And so I was already sketching a lot of things over the course of the week in sketchbooks. If I can capture the sermon in a couple of images or in one one guiding image, then I sort of know what it's about. And and that's turned into what's become a new sort of manuscript for me, a visual manuscript. And and that's all I do. I, I learn calligraphy along the way and still practice that because it, it slows me down when I'm using any sort of text in my manuscript. Hmm. And then I try and fill it with images and watercolor. And what I'm what I'm hoping happens is that it attaches to my imagination in multiple ways so that when it's time to recall it, I have a lot of different access points for the information and text was not getting me there because it reads, it was really only activating, I think one part of my brain. And so I tried to build a system, a form that would allow the, the expression of it on Sunday mornings to be more true to how I'm built yeah. and how I, uh, how I work. So when you're saying manuscript prior to this, was that a fully typed out manuscript? It was. Yeah. yeah. And- so that's a big change. It was, and it was a really regimented manuscript. I, I talk about it like jazz scales. Like I'm trying to learn how to improvise based on my own experience, but I really needed to spend a lot of time with the scales. And that's what I did in school. And that's what I did in Dallas. And the guy I worked with there, uh, George Mason is incredible at this form. And so he gave me and the folks that worked with us all of his best wisdom about a manuscript and I still lean on that in my own ways, but I, I did let it go as it was time to move on from there. Yeah. All right. So things are about to get crazy here. This right. this is going to be the upside down uh, interview starting awesome. starting right now. I think this is right about number fifty. I think we're I think we're a little bit past fifty, and we're <laughs> we're going to turn this thing on its head because okay because of where you've taken us and that's fine that's not a bad thing. Yeah. Um, I can flex with it. I can flex with it. <laughs> I typically have people talk about tell us about the start, you know, and all the way up to the finish. Mm-hmm. And we've kind of jumped to your finish. We've jumped to this we've jumped to this sketch that you have that you take up with you. I'm looking at one and and I'll I'll post this, you know, I'll post a link to this this Baptist uh Baptist News Global website cuz there's an example of one posted on there in an article. Yeah, but, you can also find these on my Instagram feed. I tend to put those up once a week. Okay, but for for somebody who's listening in their car, can you give us can you give us kind of a a description of what this looks like? The the final form. Yeah, yeah, I can. So I started out with a small sketchbook that was a 
like eight by six. No, not even eight. It's pretty small. Maybe five by 12 or 15 open five inches by 12. And it's a landscape format. So it's the kind that you normally see watercolors done in. And this was because as I was mapping it, a left to right kind of movement for me, I could see the whole thing in, in two up one page, one book open. Yeah. And so I'm not flipping through it. It's just one large format somewhere along the way. I decide I jumped up a, a size. So now my book is about eight inches by 24 inches. Yeah. And the amount of text is probably been cut by like 70% from my first sermons to what I do now. Hmm. Um, almost all imagery and maybe a couple of large sets of text. Um, so for this instance, and there's a ton of white space too. Part of what I'm working toward is, how can I visualize some of the negative space in my sermon and see it on the page in front of me? And, and so there's, I'm not cramming as much as I can in here. I'm trying to get a, a visual read of the flow right? and some of the energy here. Uh, so I've got the one that I used for this last Sunday in front of me and I can, cause I just preached, I can kind of recall what happened along the way. Um, so yeah, this thing's inked in different size, um, fine liner markers, uh, Coptic markers, and then it's watercolored. And when I set it up in front of me on the pulpit, I can remember in this really fascinating way where, where it is I'm headed. And I'm not terribly tied to it. I can glance at it and figure out where I am at any given point in time. But I also sort of have it in my mind what the flow is. And that was a, that was a new thing for me. Um, yeah, yeah, I bet. Yeah. And, and so at what point during the week does this page, this of these facing pages get uh, put together? So what has been my practice, and this goes to your question of how is it evolving? Yeah. It's been my practice to have it all worked out and, and understand the direction it's moving. And I'll have a series of both, uh, digital documents, a lot of, a lot of ideas I've clipped from different sources and then sketchbooks of ideas and drawings over time. And white, I've got a huge whiteboard on my wall, a four by eight foot whiteboard that has stuff on it often. Um, but Sunday mornings, I get up at five 30 and I either come to work or I find a coffee shop. And for about two hours, I illuminate the main, the sermon, um, so this, what I'm looking at here and what you're looking at comes together at 5.30 on Sunday morning. Yeah, and the reason that I'd done that was it it sort of pushes it into my brain one last time as an impression. Uh, often, you you know, you can like take a uh, some kind of object and push it into your skin and that image will stay there for a certain amount of time. Yeah. And then it'll snap back. That for me, that's what a sermon does too. And if I push that image into my brain one last time that morning, then when I stand up to preach, it's still there in a way that if I would have done it on Thursday, it's not. And because I'm not on a manuscript, and so I kind of need that to be pretty accessible to my memory. That's helped. Now I'll say that this last Sunday, I moved that prep time up to Friday, and so I didn't. I finished the manuscript on Friday, and. I, th- I think I might be able to do that moving forward. I want my fr- my Sundays back all together to sort of focus on some pastoral things. Hmm. And so I'm hoping to get this thing further back into the week. Yeah. But talk to me in a month and let me know. And I'll tell you how that's going. <laughs> so we'll do John Jay part two. That's right. Yeah. So where does this prior to that, then where does this live? I mean, are you are you 
are you sketching out I, like rough draft versions of it or is it tumbling around in your brain? Where does it live before it takes this shape? I try and get it out of my brain as quick as possible. I, I have a bit of a monkey mind and so it can jump around often as I'm, I, I don't prep very linear in a linear fashion as I'm studying, it's almost like a spiral and I look at it toward the end of the week and I figure out, okay, like I've got almost like a gumbo, like I've got all this stuff in a pot. Now, what do I need to do to make it a meal and not just a bunch of stuff that fell into the stove? And But that's all in your head or are you scrawling that out somewhere? It's scrawling out. So I've got a couple of sketchbooks I carry all the time yeah. uh, and I've got a couple of apps on my phone and on my computer that are Evernote, OneNote. They're just kind of, you can dump things in them. Yeah. And so I'll use those and not a ton of my own language if I can help it. I try and hold some of my phrases until it's either time to preach or until that morning when I've, I've got something down. Cause I, I don't know. You get married to a phrase. You ever get this way and uh -uh, you're so never. in love with it. And, <laughs> and then you, you forget it in the sermon and you think well, yeah. everything, everything's ruined now. I might as well go ahead and like crawl into a hole because I forgot that phrase and I got tired of that. So, um, yeah, so it's a lot of one preacher says it's like buckets you fill up. Yeah. So that's sort of what I work with for the week. Are you, are you not going to say what that preacher's name is? Oh, yeah, Rob Bell. And <laughs> preachers and prophets thing he did is amazing. Yes, it yeah. is. I just know from time to time it's, well, there's this one guy, but, you know, p people aren't sure if they should say his name or not. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's had some great things to say for any of us who preach, regardless of our views, I would argue. So it's very true. Yeah. yeah. For creativity, um, he's got a lot of stuff to offer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so, but so you're, you've got multiple notebooks, you're putting stuff in Evernote and OneNote, OneNote, which you might be the first person to mention OneNote. That's a fantastic app Yeah. Uh, that, I, but I can't imagine using OneNote and Evernote somehow. So somehow you've got multiple notebooks, Evernote, OneNote. Mm -hmm. When, when do all these ideas coalesce? Coalesce uh, on Thursday and Friday. Those are my sermon prep days. I work half days, both of those often. And my wife and I go on a, a weekly date on Fridays. So I, I try and um, limit some of my sermon prep on that day. But often I'll, I'll everything will end up in that OneNote document. And even the sketchbooks, because of the way OneNote works, you can take a picture of the thing and throw it up into the into your page on your computer. So even if I'm sketching throughout the day, I'll take a picture of my phone, send it to the same file on OneNote, and everything's right there, yeah. even all the visual pieces. And my camera on my phone is one of the things that has become really helpful for sermon work, just because you can clip anything around you in the world and yeah. have it with you. Yeah. And I'll take on OneNote, and I'll start to pull and push things. So I'll, I'll take the text and I'll shrink it. If it's less important and I'll, I'll make it bigger, if it's something that's becoming a larger idea and I'll start to cluster ideas, it, be, it becomes a kind of a mind map for me. Yeah. And then I can start to see how the sermon is developing around Thursday and Friday. And once I have that general picture, I can normally get the sermon into a workable form to preach from once that's happened. Um, yeah. Yeah. So what's, what is the seed? All right. So what we've kind of talked about then is like the, incubation to flourish process, right? Of yeah. These ideas are forming and they're mixing and they're coming together. They're in their buckets and the buckets become chunks as he describes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then you're scrawling them out. So prior to all that, what would your, you know, the, the, the word could be study or the word could be, uh, if I follow the, there's no analogies here. I won't even bother <laughs> to try, but 
what, where, where does, where do these ideas first start to, you know, prior to the incubation, where do they even start to gestate? Here we go. <laughs> I should just let go of this now. That's um, amazing. But your, but your process of, you know, you said you don't do a lot of uh, commentary necessarily, but early in the week, what's, what sparks the ideas? Is there study? Is there background research on the text? What, what does some of that look like for you? Yeah, so all of that's happening at some level. Um, for this last sermon on Philippians 3, which was off any sort of theme or lectionary, uh, we just did a one-off sermon on Philippians 3. That was a hinge sermon between this study on sin and then what we're hoping is this new, fresh expression of God's spirit in the world in the book of Acts. Yeah. And we needed a hinge for that. And this Philippians 3 where Paul's letting everything go and counting it as lost for the sake of knowing Christ. And I knew already that that was what the sermon was for. It was a, it was in of itself a threshold between two dominant themes in our preaching in life of the church. And that was, that was the piece I held on to is this idea of threshold. What happens between death and life and death and life, that resurrection pattern. And that, that, that idea uh, was the sermon from Philippians three. And so then I started to kind of gather stories. I had a, a woman who's moving from our community to Virginia and she actually was the Genesis for this text. And she told me her story earlier in the week and that became part of the sermon. And I had, uh, another thing we do in our community is we don't use screens right now in our preaching. Although I've thought about that some because of my own, I love the visual, but we'll often have things up there. So I had like a table full of trophies this week. And so I knew that image would be central because that was the embodied part of the sermon for me is this, we're going to stack up our own achievements on a table. And then at the end of the sermon, I'm going to carry these things out to God and let them go to receive whatever God has for me. And I knew that was going to happen in the sermon on, in, on the chancel that morning. And that kind of created for me, um, a physical spine for my preaching. I knew almost like a skit, like I know where the props go. I know where my stage marks are and I'm going to go from point A to point, you know, D, E or F down here. And that I could then suspend a lot of the conceptual, uh, scripture theological work on that physical manifestation of what I would do on Sunday morning. Um, so that was, I knew that early in the week and that was sort of a, that became a guiding metaphor for study. Uh, yeah. If that makes any sense at all. Sure. Sure. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's always, it's fascinating to interview somebody. And I told you this at the beginning, I think before we were recording, but it's fascinating to interview somebody who just thinks much more, uh, semiotic. I think that's the right word. You know, yeah. you think much more in terms of images, uh, to kind of tease out what your process looks like because somebody who sits down with all of the books open and they read through them and they take notes and then they put that into an outline, it, they can talk that through. And it's, it's a much more, I don't want to say much more interesting because I, I'm much more the other way and I love doing it, but yeah, yeah. it's, I'm fascinated by teasing out what the construction process looks like. That's why I do this podcast, but especially yeah, yeah. in this case. Do you find I'm jumping I'm jumping back to the end of the week now. Do you okay. do you find that when you format your sermons in terms of the movements, the introduction, the conclusion and what happens in between, do you find that there's a general flow or structure that you have settled into or are they pretty different? They seem to be pretty different. I know, I mean, I know what the form's going to be for each one, but they don't 
they don't all follow like a Lowry's plot, the homiletical plot kind of thing. Yeah. Of uh, Some of them do, but Rick Lisher was one of my professors at Duke, and he always would say that the text itself should in some way should uh, inform the form that your stru- your sermon takes. Yeah. And so Paul in this Philippians three, it's one of those classic rhetorical traps that he will set for his readers. And as much as I could, I tried to set a trap in my sermon for both myself and the, and the listeners with what we did. And if there was a form for that Sunday, it was that, but of course that's pretty unique to each text we're on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. Do you find that you do you find that you draw on previous stuff, previous ideas you've had, or do are most of your ideas for any given sermon do they come up that week? Like do you, do you have do you have some kind of practice of capturing long term buckets, or are they all week to week buckets? Oh no, they're long term. Particularly, maybe this is where uh, Evernote and my phone come in more. Yeah, is. And my wife's one of the brilliant sources for this. If we're on a long car ride, she's always she'll say a ton of things that are just brilliant, and I'll make her text them to me (laughs) so that I can later clip them into something to save them. Uh, And there's how does Mary Oliver say it? Uh, Rules for living a life. um, Pay attention, be astonished, and tell about it. Is her Mm -hmm. little poem for that? And I'm hoping, I'm hoping that my life is structured in a way that I can pay attention and then things get revealed and I have no idea when I'm going to get to share them, but I know it's something that needs to be shared. And so I'll set it somewhere and this can be six months out or longer. I mean, some of this stuff with death for Lent next year, that's a long ways away, but now I'm paying attention to people's uh, death cycles really closely talking to my hospice chaplain in our church and our nursing group and asking a lot of questions that, if I wasn't thinking about it this far out, uh, I couldn't do that the week of. It just wouldn't be possible to learn what I need to learn. And so when I'm fortunate enough to know that far out, I can do some of that that earlier work. Uh, so yeah. so you – I've one of the things I've really been surprised by in doing all these interviews is how few people really do what you're describing. You know, And I remember – I'm old. I'm not really that old, but uh, I'm in my early 40s, and so – you know. There weren't so many computers even when I was taking my early homiletics classes in undergrads, and it was all about file folders and clipping illustrations and putting them in file folders. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, and now we have all of these tools that make it so easy to just capture ideas and tag them. And I'm continuously surprised by, or I have been surprised by, how few pe- people are really rigorous about that process. And a lot oh. more of their process is very ephemeral. You know, this is what I have for the next few weeks. So. Tell us, uh, how do you how do you store, how do you organize those ideas so that you can get back to them or find the connections later? It, that's been fascinating. You know, you mentioned you use, I use OneNote and Evernote, and that yeah. seems like a lot of redundancies and lost files. But again, it's 2015. I can hit command spacebar and type in a phrase, and it'll pull up on my hard drive everywhere where that phrase has occurred. And it, it becomes a lot easier to... Uh, to, to find an idea, to grab it and to set it somewhere and know you're going to be able to find it later. And if I don't find it, then that's okay. Uh, that meant that may mean it wasn't that important anyway. Um, so you're still relying a little bit, even on just ideas kind of sitting in your brain a bit enough that you can try to do the search for them. Like you have some semblance of some phrase somewhere that's going to take you back to it. Or are you actually setting aside a few things related to death in a particular place? 
You no, know, those are not in a particular place. They're yeah. just kind of out there. Yeah. And, uh, hopefully I can retrieve them. Um, what's fascinating is even in the sermon moment, I may have a cluster of four stories that illust- that sort of get at a point or, or show what I'm talking about. And every week that I have this, I forget one of them. Yeah. I don't tell one of them. And for instance, this week there was a story of a, teenager I got to know this summer at camp who uh, is one year sober and he sent me a picture of his one year pin or chip that they get. And it was this incredible moment and really vulnerable for him and a huge accomplishment. It, it didn't make it into the sermon, even though I knew it and I had it in my early notes, I left enough blank space in my manuscript that that was the story that fell out. Hmm. And I'm not sure, you know, it, for in the moment it, it didn't fit and it will fit another week or another month or another year. And so nothing's lost. It all just sort of is somewhere else growing its own life and its own meaning. I wonder if when Jesus told the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son that he had a fourth, and he just couldn't (laughs) keep track of it. (laughs) That's exactly right. Um, That's funny. Yeah. So, okay. Uh, Fantastic. I appreciate you uh, just walking us through all that. Are 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 there other resources that you've turned to? maybe books or maybe others that you've learned from that have kind of helped you sharpen this process? I love, I read a ton about creativity Yeah, and I love that process. So I just finished um, Ed Catmull's book on yeah. Pixar's life, Creativity Inc. Amazing. Uh-huh. Yeah. And uh, I just, I'm, I've been in the middle of the gift, which is, oh, the author's name is slipping, uh, Lewis Hyde. Hmm who wrote Trickster Makes the World, which I read for preaching, but his book, it's about creativity and, uh, and the difference between a, a consumerist con- culture where everything's a commodity versus a lot of what is the life of an artist. And I would say a preacher, which is that we are, are offering something that's very hard to turn into a commodity. And when you do, you kind of kill it. Hmm. And it's fascinating. Um, yeah. So I'm reading a lot of those things all the time, and I'm always looking for other versions of that. I've got uh, a book right now on risk and creativity that I'm reading. and What's that one? I can't remember. Rise is the name of it. It's on uh, my shelf, but I haven't started it yet. Gotcha. And I can't even remember the author's name. So I'm reading a lot of those sort of things. Uh, I'm listening to a lot of podcasts and probably the same ones that most of your folks you've talked to love. Uh, I love Radiolab and Visibilia. Uh, I love the storytelling of Serial. The fact that she can hold attention for that many episodes for one story is, I mean, it, it can sort of, it makes me feel ashamed whenever I either am one of those boring preachers or I have to listen to them. <laughs> when you hear people who can tell stories so well, The Moth, um, yeah. I listen to a lot of stand-up comedy and a lot of, uh, like WTF with Mark Marin, where yeah. he talks to comedians about their process. I, I love it. I think that preachers have, have got to be listening to those sort of things. Um, do you also listen to Pete Holmes? Yes, I do. I was yeah. going to mention him too. Yeah. Uh, you make it weird. It? You make it weird. Yeah. His interview with Richard Rohr was amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So those sort of things are informing me. And I, I, like I said, I have commentaries that I'll look at, but very quickly and just sort of as a check for myself because they don't, they aren't immensely helpful for the, you've heard the way I prep it. It would be really hard for me, I think to, get as much meaning out of someone who thinks maybe in a more logical, calm way than I do. Could yeah. be one way of saying it. Uh, yeah. So th- those are some of my resources. Social media has been kind of fun lately. I, um, 
I did a search on my passage and some keywords on Reddit and just to see what people were saying. And I got some really fascinating uh, perspectives on the text that I didn't see coming. Really? And I'd never thought to use Reddit in that way before. Yeah. So I'm writing that down. (laughs) (laughs) Yours has been less helpful. That's definitely the first mention of Reddit, I think, (laughs) on Sermon Smith. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, one last question. Uh, Well, two last questions. Yeah. Actually, there'll be three. How do you how do you know when your sermon's done? When I preach it. Yeah. Uh, I've I've become really convinced. And this has been the fun part about this preaching process is when I was using a manuscript, I kind of thought the sermon was done when I saved it the last time or printed it. And. And that felt. That didn't seem true to what I what I really believed about sermons, which is that they're an experience that happens at a moment in time and then they're gone. My professor, uh, Chuck Campbell at Duke, he would say that preaching is like breathing. The the spoken word, it's only lasts as long as you can hold it in your mind. And if it doesn't make it into your heart, then it's gone. And before you could record these things, they were gone forever. And there was something about the, the occasional nature of preaching that is just so compelling. And so for me, preaching is done when I say amen and sit down and the sermon is only that moment for 20 minutes. It's not this manuscript that is beautiful or ugly or uh, that I've spent time on. And it's not the recording that happens afterward. Those are both kind of vestiges of it or a shadow of it. And I, I try and hold on to that because there are times I've walked into the pulpit and I've thought I am not ready. Mm-hmm. And yet still a sermon happens right. because it some, has to, right. There's some exchange that happens in the spirits at work in some kind of way. And, that's been helpful for me because it makes me less important and it makes some of my labor less important. Uh, like the sun's going to rise and set regardless. And, and that's, yeah, that's been freeing. Yeah. All right. Second, second last question. Cause I, I, I didn't fully tease it out of you, although I, you know, I talked about it at the beginning, but how, how are you finding that things are different now? 15 months in like, how would you describe how your first three months of preaching almost every week compared to your last three months? I, I've actually started to study a little bit more lately, hmm. which is a strange, I find that surprising. There was a lot of the sort of admin pastoral responsibilities that were on the table when I got here. We had a couple of really, really important and tragic deaths in the congregation and a building campaign. And that, that ate up a lot of my energy and for me, I'm coming into a season where I need to slow down and do some kind of first priority work theologically and pastorally. And, and for me, that means a little bit more study. And and that's so for this book, of for the Sermon on Acts, I'm going to read through the book of Acts entirely in one sitting a couple of times. And that may not have been something I did when I preached through Luke nine months ago and sort of shame on me for not doing that. I was reading the text closely, but not in that way. And so that's some of it is, is maybe a little slower process and giving myself permission to, uh, to take a little bit more time with my imagination and the ideas. I'm also, you heard me say earlier, I'm trying to figure out new ways to visualize this for myself and for the church. I'm not at all getting bored with this because it's still incredibly life-giving, but are there times where we need uh, a different way to see the thing? 
and we've done, I've done theater in the middle of a sermon where people come up and play act the thing for me in the moment. And we hit pause and talk about it and go and hit pause and talk about it. And we'll often hand out things like an Orthodox church might do. And people have something they can take home with them. I'm always looking for those things and with different ways that the listener can attach their own imaginations to the word. And, and that's, that's where I keep finding energy week to week. And so I don't really know where the next thing is going to come from, but I'm hoping that, uh, the spirit's always moving and I'm just trying to keep up, always just trying to keep up. Yeah. All right. Third, last question. Yeah. (laughs) Somebody, uh, somebody wants to keep up with what you're up to. You know, you talk about how you Instagram or, and I suppose therefore tweet, but where can somebody find you to see some of these? Yeah. So I've got, um, my Instagram feed is some of my work and then some of my really beautiful family. And so people who are listening can go to that place for either. This is my name, uh, John J. Alvaro, uh, J O H N J A Y A L V A R O. And that's my Twitter handle too. Uh, a lot of my work ends up there. I, uh, we keep all of our audio for the sermons on our website, which is springcreekbc.com. And I'll, you, and I keep up my, I put my manuscript up there as well. So that, that sketchbook will have, will be Fun. attached to the audio. So you can see all of the pieces as they fit together. Some of the feedback I've gotten from that, from the congregation is they wish they had those pages in front of them to listen. Mm-hmm. And I've been hesitant to do that. And I don't know why. And I'm thinking about, trying that with a few folks kind of piloting out to a small group and asking them how that changed the way they listened. Uh, and so that's, those are all the places you can find it. You're not asking my opinion, but I wouldn't do it. You wouldn't do it. That's good to know. Well, <laughs> because they'll just look ahead. Like it's, it's anytime you give a handout, people want to read ahead yes, and it so takes true. away some of your element of movements and twists and turns and right. Give it to them after. Yes. Brilliant. <laughs> I'll have it stacked on the, sh- on the, on the welcome center on the way out the door. There you go. You can take it home. Well, John Jay, thanks so much. As is usually the case when I'm interviewing somebody who I haven't met in person, I think, well, golly, I got to figure out a way to, to hang out with John Jay. That would be fun. So maybe some, yeah. there's been a few people I've interviewed that I've gotten to meet down the road. So maybe that'll be the case with us. Yeah. I'd love that. And, uh, yeah, I'm really glad that we got hooked up finally. I'll say too, for anyone who's in Oklahoma city, uh, I would say come to our church, come to worship, see our community and what we do on Sunday mornings. It's a lovely place to uh, experience one another in God. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks so much, Sanjay. Thank you, John. Yeah. Blessings. You too. Take care. Peace. Wasn't that a good one? Wasn't it good to hear what he does and how different his process is? Definitely encourage you to go look at his Instagram or uh, their, their church website and see the pictures he posts of what his outlines look like. It's a lot of fun even to browse back through those and wonder, I wonder what he was going to say there or imagine uh, what some of those thoughts were connected to. So please go take a look at all that. Again, you can find the link to that at sermonsmith.com as you see the notes for this episode. Thanks so much.